copyright's a big one. Everybody misunderstands copyright or wants to wants copyright to work differently than it does. Let's put it that way. So uh, I get a lot of questions from podcasters about, can I use this piece of music? Or what if I'm talking about this TV show on my program? Can I, you know, so I, I represent podcasters. Podcast Junkies episode 195. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Sorry for the delay. Been traveling a bit. It was just at the Outlier Festival in Austin, Texas, which looks like it might be home for a little bit. More on that later. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with Kyla Carnero, host of Yaj Monen, and So It's a Show. I had a lot of trouble pronouncing those words last week or last episode, so uh, if you listen to the episode, you'll get a a taste of that. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Gordon Farmark. He's got the best name ever for a lawyer who covers entertainment law, and that's actually the name of his show, Entertainment Law Podcast. In this episode, we cover Gordon's theater background, of all things, and obviously that leads us down a rabbit hole where we discuss our favorite theater shows. We cover Gordon's legal background and what he learned from working in the entertainment industry and why he prefers to actually work alone. We talk about him interacting with the listeners of his podcast, how he found his co-host, Tamara, and why that works best for the format of this show. We talk a little bit how he decides which stories get coverage on his podcast and a couple of recent cases that he's been covering. This episode is brought to you by the one and only Scarlet 2i2 from Focusrite. It is my go-to sound card of choice. I've been using them for years now. I'm trying to remember back when I first gave it a shot, and I was so impressed with the sound quality and the portability of it that it just became my go-to recommendation, and it's what I tell clients to use every time we do a new show and a new setup for for them. I always have my Samson Q2U as the go-to microphone and the Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 as my go-to sound card. The beauty of it is that it makes everything easy, and it gives you a, a panel Uh, at the front of the sound card for you to easily control the levels of not only your microphone, which is extremely important, but also your headset, your headphones, so you can continue to monitor your sound, which I think is really important for you as a podcaster to be considerate of when you're recording with a guest to make sure you always know what it is that your mic sounds like and also helps to pick up ambient noise in the room that you might not be aware of. So the Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 makes that extremely easy to do. And I'm happy to have built a relationship with Dan and the folks at Focusrite. And it was great to always meet them at uh, these podcasting conferences. So my go-to recommendation for when you're ready to step up your audio sound to the next level. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 195. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, as always, enjoy this fantastic conversation with Gordon. So Gordon Firemark, uh, host of Entertainment Law Update. Thank you so much for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Hi, Harry. It's great to be here. You've got a, a great voice for radio. I'm probably sure someone has told you that before. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we go everywhere and anywhere with with the show but since we're on video we're on squadcast and i can see what your mic is set up tell me uh what you're currently recording on and, and how long you've been using that setup so i've been using this pr40 through a behringer mixer and into a, a zoom h6 the h6 is the newest addition to that that uh equation but I've, I've always used a digital recorder outboard so that i'm able to use the computer for other stuff while we're recording or whatever mm. 
and um, without having to worry about the recording getting blown because we yeah. tinker with something. Are you have always been a fan of technology? Do you like playing with gear? Yeah, I was a sound guy before podcasting was even a thing. I I, okay. uh, I worked in theatrical sound uh, mm. starting when I was about eleven years old, and uh, uh, was working professionally in that field before I went to uh, law school. So eleven years old. So we can start there. Talk a little bit about that. <laughs> I, I got the theater bug when I was very young. I was about five uh, in in kindergarten, and the high school kids in our K through twelve school were doing a production of Oliver, and so that got me. At, they took us to see a rehearsal, and I was hooked. So, but I always wanted to be behind the scenes, you know, making the lights and the sound and the and the curtains move and things like that. So I became a sound guy uh, starting in junior high. Um, junior high school, we had moved across the country and I was getting into some trouble and the junior high principal sort of intervened and said, here, I need you to do this and had me running the sound for the school variety shows and things like that. So by high school, I was working in local theaters around, uh, around LA and making a career or a job of it anyway. Went off to college and studied theater, uh, started as a theater major, went into radio, TV and film. Mm. And uh, after I graduated, I worked as a television producer briefly and then went to law school. And so when you said you were doing uh, theater sound, is it, was it just like getting everyone mic'd up and, and yeah, running you know, the mixer? Doing a big Broadway-style musical with 30, 40 body mics and stage wow. mics and orchestras and the whole thing. Uh, yeah, big, big, big mixing consoles. And it was, was it all self-taught? Well, I mean, I had people who showed me the ropes early on and, and uh, yeah, but I, I did sort of self-study and, you know, it's mostly about the ears. Once you understand a channel strip on a mixer, adding more channel strips isn't that big a deal. Mm-hmm. It's just managing a lot going on at the same time and you develop techniques and strategies. And what, what, what was some of the biggest things you learned when you, when you're working with sound that much and as, as a part of your, your, your regular gig? Well, you learn how to manage game structure, especially, um, you know, just as you add more and more stuff into a mix, it, the, mm. the level overall starts to feel louder and, and um, almost like more pressure weighing on, on the audience. And so you do really have to manage it and not get too much in there. And, you know, the guys who do um, multi-track recording have the same issue, you, you know, the, the accumulative volume or, or the cumulative sound level i don't want to say volume because it's not quite the same thing uh can really add up and so you do have to manage it carefully and make sure that the the nuance is still kept in there when things are really loud uh yeah and you know the other tricks is yeah just managing a lot of inputs all at once can be tricky Mm. and sort of again trusting and learning your ears training your ears to identify what's happening and being able to get your hand to that vader at the right time (laughs) yeah (laughs) That's something people don't think about, and I did learn a little bit about that because I, I I grew up as a, as a DJ playing yeah. vinyl, and then I eventually was curious enough to start learning about electronic music production, and so I took a, a production class, and then I took a mastering class. Yeah, and it's really interesting when you start, especially with the instruments, and and the different like if you got the kick, and then you yeah. got the bass line, and then you got you bring in the snares, and and each thing you add. Um, while each one of those might have its own level and, and sound yeah. okay on its own, everything's layered together. Like, you know, to your point, you have to definitely dial it back a bit. And, and yeah, and just be conscious of the, the effect that adding, you know, even just a second TomTom mic or something like that will do to the overall muddiness or clarity of mm. the sound, right? Yeah. And, and understanding about microphone phase when you've got two mics that are pretty close together. Stuff, you know, yeah. Uh, stuff that most of us podcasters don't think about because it's one mic on each end of a conversation and that's it. Uh, although I've, had, I've heard phase problems in people recording in the same room across the table from each other. Or something. Yeah. And then that's a trick that you just sort of have to oh, pick it up when, 
Yeah, I know a lot of fo folks listening, uh, when they first get started, their solution for multiple guests is just to plop the Yeti in the middle of the right. table <laughs> and make sure that that tends to work because it's actually one mic. So it's not and, well, and the mic is designed for that purpose. Yeah. So it works well. Yeah. And, and w what tips do you have for people that are using two mics in the same room? Don't have them too close together. Uh, not only will there be the possibility of phase, and what we talk about phase cancellation is when you have sound waves that are roughly the same frequency and the up wave is on one side and the down wave is on the other, they cancel out and you get a flat line. Yeah. So you want to make sure that the phase of the mics is, on one of them is switched so that they are more in sync and you don't get as much of that phase cancellation. But you also get bleed. You know, if you yeah. and I are sitting a foot apart and talking into two microphones, your mic's hearing me and my mic's hearing you and it, it's going to muddy things up and make editing a lot harder. I'll tell you one thing I, that the live sound experience did for me is set me up really well. And also the, the training in radio, TV and film set me up for a live to drive recording style. So when I record my show, I play the sound, the intro cue, we go into the show, we keep recording, we close the show with an, with an outro and then we upload the file. There's no editing. <laughs> um, some of that's the prep, but some of it is just, you know, being able to manage it on the fly. I imagine you're still a fan of the theater. Oh, yes. <laughs> and in my law practice, I, I represent people in the theater business. So it's, it's yeah. fun and it's a way to blend things together. When you have people that are new or expressing an interest in the theater, um, are there just certain shows that you feel like everyone's got to see? You know, I'm a big fan of the classic golden age of Broadway, the Oklahomas and, mm. you know, well, the, the Rodgers and Hammerstein uh, canon, really. But, yeah. you know, some of the newer stuff, you know, look, every decade had its great shows. And so I think if you haven't familiarized yourself with all of those things, you're doing yourself and your audience a disservice. So if you've never seen Oklahoma and you go in to do a, sh a show where there's maybe a little homage to something Rodgers and Hammerstein, you're going to miss the point. And if you can't convey it to the audience uh, as a performer or a technician or director or whatever, then, uh, yeah. So you really, yeah, it, like any field, you really have to study the history so you can make the future happen the way you want it to. Are you a fan of uh, musicals on the screen as well? When they're done right, yes. <laughs> there are an awful lot of them that haven't been done right. Yeah. But, you know, I'll tell you, Moulin Rouge a few years ago was, was oh, yeah. brilliant, and it was unlike any screen musical before, but um, they did a nice job with it. And, and uh, What's the one with uh, based in Los Angeles that came out recently? La La Land. La La Land, yeah, that was nice. That was well done. Um, I actually had problems with how the sound was mixed on that show. <laughs> <laughs> but, but overall, yeah, I mean, it was, it was an entertaining piece and, and well-crafted. I, I was fortunate enough to have my, my parents introduce me to some of the earlier ones. So actually, one of my favorites is uh, West Side Story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the Broadway show adapted to the, to the film, uh, I think, is, is a really, really nice way for people to get exposed to that style. And what's happening with television, where the networks are putting on a couple of musicals mm -hmm. a year now, I think that's really exciting. Um, they're taking some risks and, and liberties in places that, you know, maybe it's hit or miss sometimes, but overall I'm, I'm pleased to see that happening and, and, uh, great to be able to show my kids some of these things. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I was having a conversation earlier with, um, Kyla Carnero, who's going to be on, um, on a future episode and she's, she's done, she's doing a show based on the show Gilmore Girls. And what I didn't know about the show is they make a lot of pop culture references. And yeah. so her show is based on 
researching the pop culture references made in that show, mm. which was fascinating. So because and she started learning about Mary Tyler Moore show and all this, all these things that they would mention in the show, and she's like, "What's that?" And she would go watch it an episode of the show and, and or, or watch some of these movies like Ishtar or something that she didn't know about but it was it was a fascinating way for her to understand and learn a little bit about some uh, pop culture history oh that's really cool yeah I have to go give a listen to her show you mentioned uh, having the uh, the ear and, and noticing stuff yeah you know, the critical ear uh, for me with movies I have a problem with continuation errors like so if yeah. someone is like like um, we're on video now so like if i'm holding the cup and then i turn around and then in the next scene or the camera shoots from a different angle if the actor's not holding the cup or like it's this i just notice it. or it's in the other hand yeah the continuity yeah. or or even a glass if it's if, if it's clear and it's got a little less liquid or something like this it's right. so weird well, i don't know why but i can pick up those things and sometimes it just like throws me off yeah when me. i was in uh, in school studying film and tv they actually taught us by having us watch old episodes of TV shows where the cigarette would be a different length in somebody's hand from moment to moment. It's like, wow, yeah. he smoked that whole cigarette in one draw, you know, things like that. <laughs> That's got to be a harder one. Yeah, I think from props, they probably would have to figure out a way to have one that doesn't burn down. Yeah, and well, and you don't see cigarettes on screen as much as That's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. nowadays. But uh, so these were, we also learned editing on old episodes of Gunsmoke. <laughs> oh wow yeah that, that must be interesting they're, yeah they're, apparently the producers of that show had made the footage available specifically for the editing uh instruction and the editor's guild to use and stuff so pretty cool that is very cool when so you studied law in in college or, it, no so undergrad i was a radio tv and film major and then i got came it back to la and I was, that was at oregon uh university of oregon and uh came back to la and worked in television for a year or so before i i wanted to make a leap i wasn't I was doing live sports, which isn't my thing. Uh, I just didn't have a lot of interest in it. It made me good at it, actually, that I was disinterested in the content and more interested in the coverage. But I really wanted to work in the entertainment space. And uh, just as I was sort of ready to make a move, the Writers Guild went on strike. And mm -hmm. there was not going to be any work for a while. So that's when I affirmed my, my thoughts about going to law school. And I uh, studied you know, as much as I could. You, you, in law school, everybody studies the basic same course of study. Yeah, you take your electives, and I focused mine in the entertainment space and and uh, studied copyrights and trademarks and rights of privacy and publicity and defamation and those kinds of things that are really the the meat of entertainment law. What did you learn while working in the TV industry? How to operate under extreme time pressure, and uh, and how to manage a team. I was. I was in a sort of interesting position of starting a job um, as a production assistant on day one. And on day 21, I was promoted to associate producer and handed the keys to a production truck and, and a, a payroll for a team of about 25 people to wow. shoot events every week. And it was sort of unfair because there were people who were just as qualified, but they didn't have a, a college degree. So, um, so I was a promoted to be their boss, <laughs> which really just meant I was the one who had to deal with that time pressure while they could you know, focus on the production stuff. And, um, yeah, so managing a team and, and scheduling and all those kinds of things is really what producers do. So then you moved into law and then you specifically focused on entertainment. Well, with a background like mine, yeah. uh, when you go out <laughs> looking for a job as a lawyer or even as a law student, the, the firms that do insurance law, just they see, well, you, you want to do entertainment. You go, go off and find that. And at the time I was, uh, I was in law school, uh, there was a TV show LA law was on and it made, Oh yeah, made being a lawyer look really sexy, and <laughs> which it isn't, and um, and that, that meant there were a lot of lawyers, and of course a lot wanted to do entertainment. Meanwhile, the entertainment industry was contracting or or merging and consolidating, so the jobs were scarcer and scarcer. And uh, 
yeah, so there was a lot of us competing for the entertainment law jobs in the studios and in the, in the corporate world. So I ended up going out on my own and, and uh, becoming a, uh, uh, an entertainment transactional lawyer fairly early in my career. I worked in litigation briefly and then realized that wasn't for me. Are there aspects of entertainment law that you just sort of learn on the job and because you have the background in entertainment, you apply them, you apply the, con- the concepts there or you, I imagine there's things specifically about entertainment law that you either have to be trained on or, or trial by fire. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you can only study so much from the books and, and from the instruction. I was very fortunate to have uh, teachers who were working in film and this is how entertainment law is mostly taught uh, is, the instructors are lawyers who've been practicing for, in fact, I now teach an entertainment law course myself. And, hmm. um, you know, the the war stories and the, and the personal experience really influences and flavors that. But you still, until you experience it for yourself on behalf of one of your clients or whatever, yeah, you don't really know what's going on. It's, it's, a, it's an industry that has its own sort of unique customs and practices like any business. So, yeah, you have to understand the history and why things are done a certain way. And also just, you know, what the interests of the parties really are. If I'm dealing with a, uh, if I represent a, a writer and I'm, I'm doing a deal with a movie studio, you know, I have to understand why the studio needs the contract to look a certain way and do and operate the way it does uh, because they're going to get the film into distribution internationally and they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on something mm-hmm. that needs to be clean and tied up. Yeah, that's the stuff you learn from, from experience and you gain insight and, and you, trusting your intuition counts for a lot too negotiating with people is a an interesting art form yeah I, I, I would imagine and so how many now years total have you been doing it i've been practicing law for 27 years wow well, yeah 27 this year yeah so long time most of that time on my own which is an interesting experience too most most lawyers work in you know firms of five mm-hmm. to ten to hundreds of lawyers and um almost my entire career it's been just me and uh and a computer and a desk <laughs> and a microphone these days yeah <laughs> Do you prefer working alone? You know, I do. I, 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 I was never very good at being an employee, <laughs> um, uh, because you know I'm smarter than the boss. Right? <laughs> no, and I don't think I'd be great as as a boss either. I mean, I, I do have some people who I work with virtually and independent contractors and things like that, and mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm fine at managing them, but I I really I don't think I want to be that responsible for someone's livelihood. And, you know, when you, when you own the company and you have employees, those, these people are depending on you to make the right business decisions so they can keep earning their living and keep their jobs. And that's a kind of pressure that, you know, I'm okay with it, but because I can do this particular kind of work on my own and just staff the particular parts of it that need it from time to time, that, that works for me. So yeah, I really like the independence and autonomy of of being self-employed. So tell me about the first time you heard the term podcast. Oh, the first time I heard the term. It was probably Leo Laporte talking about it on, okay. on, um, on his TV show, Screensavers. Yeah. Okay. And it was right, like right before the Screensavers, or the, the network uh, tech TV was bought and became something else. And they, he then launched his own shows. And uh, around that same time, uh, a fellow contacted me, a guy who was doing a, a show about digital video. Well, not digital, just video generally. And he asked me to come on his show as an expert. Okay. And uh, so that was my first appearance on a podcast, probably in around 2005 or six. So very early on in the game. And uh, I loved it. And we ended up doing, making that a recurring thing where every couple of weeks we would 
do the show and he would bring his, his listeners questions and I would answer them and so on. Yeah. That's what got me into it. And, uh, once I had an audio interface hooked up to the computer with a microphone, uh, it was something I wanted to keep doing after he decided to take his show in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I went out and found a co-host and started entertainment law update. Was that the first show you thought about? Or did you have some other ideas? You know, I, I thought about a couple of things, but really I wanted to, I had this crazy idea that other lawyers were going to, were going to pay to listen because we, we have to do continuing education and we have to get yeah. credits every year. So I thought, well, we'll get certified as a credits provider. And we did. And very few people wanted to actually pay 20 bucks or whatever to listen to the show and get their credits and jump through the hoops of having to fill out a form and all that. So the monetization strategy didn't work out very well, but, um, we're doing a show that is sort of, a. It's actually a lot like the tech TV style where we'll pick up on headlines and we'll just riff on them for a bit. Yeah. And so we do a monthly show because the legal stuff moves pretty slowly and, and we wanted to have enough to talk about to fill an hour each time. And also it's a lot of work to prep uh, that, that kind of a show. So um, yeah, we do this monthly roundup of legal news and we've been doing it now for 10 years. That was April of 2008, 2009, sorry, 2009. So here we are. When's the last time you went, went back and listened to your episode one? Um, I think when we hit episode 100. So that was not that long ago. It was like okay. spring or summer. But I'm going to have to do it again because we're recording our 10-year anniversary show. And nice. We're looking. Congrats. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, with a monthly show, that's only 108 episodes. We've, we've yeah. missed a few months here and there. But yeah, it's, it's a, it feels like an accomplishment. And, you know, it's interesting. We have a really small audience because how many folks are really that interested in deep dives into the entertainment law yeah. stuff? You know, so it's less than 2000 downloads per month and, um, or per episode, I should say. And, and yet I discovered at the PodFest uh, talking to Rob Walsh at Libsyn, that puts me in the top 20% of podcasts. It does. It does. So, uh, that's kind of a fun statistic. I was sharing that with some other people who've just started podcasts. It's one of those questions. It's one of those things that every new podcaster like frets about. And mm-hmm. to a, to a person, they, they worry about the sound of their voice when they get started. Yeah. And then, and then they obsess over download numbers. And I've, I was guilty of it myself, like refreshing lips in and multiple times yeah. during the day, especially when you're getting started because you're just like, is anyone listening? Like, who is this? Like, it's like, yeah. even if it's like 20 downloads, you're like, who are these 20 people? And you're like, and you realize like five of them were you because you were just like yeah. checking on different devices. <laughs> Well, I was, it was an interesting situation. Just, just, just yesterday, I was at this, um, uh, I, I followed this particular coach and we, he had a, a live event and we were sitting in this room. There's a couple hundred people in the room and I'm sitting next to this woman who says, well, I started a podcast a few months ago and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed with my numbers. And I said, how many you got? She goes, I got about 250 episodes, uh, downloads per episode. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, look around this room. That's more people than are in this room right now. And that guy mm-hmm. up there, we all think of as a God. <laughs> so... You're talking to that many people every week. Nothing to be ashamed of. This is something yeah. great. So, and for the benefit of, and for the benefit of the listener, uh, recommend definitely listening to the feed, which is uh, Rob Walsh and Elsie Escobar's podcast. Uh, they're with Lipson, and it's one of the best ways to stay on top of what's happening with you know everything. There's always new news coming out from Google or Apple or Spotify, and they do a pretty good job. Of, uh, it's a nice combination of geeking out and then Elsie covers like how to benefit uh, on social media with your show or how to use your show to the, to yeah. the best benefit. Uh, so it's, it's, I highly recommend new podcasters listen to that. It's every two weeks. And one thing Rob does is actually give you the median numbers 
um, yeah. for the downloads. And, and uh, the latest ones, I think it was about, if you're getting about 120 downloads, you're doing better than 50%. And then around the 11 or 1100 mark, it's better than 80%. And then I think it shoots up to about three or 4,000. You're, then you're doing better than 90%. So yeah. that's more than enough to know as a, as a new podcaster and to have that feeling like, that you did to know that, you know, you're, that is a significant yeah. amount of people because, and, and actually the more niche, the better. And, and I think smaller numbers on a niche podcast really show that those are like your super fans. Those are like the true people who, cause the people yeah. who are listening, like they really want to listen and they really care about the topic. It's narrow casting, you know? Yeah. Uh, and when you think about it, if you wanted to sort of monetize and think about it in terms of business, context if you have a, a you know let's say 500 people who listen to your show pretty regularly and you can get a buck out of them every month that's a nice bit of or, or every week if you're doing a weekly show you know mm -hmm. you, you could really do something so uh you only need what what is that a thousand true fans is the one thousand true fans of kevin kelly from wired magazine yeah uh and this is a great platform for building up to that kind of a, an amount and and then you can do what you got to do and make some money and whatever so when you got started, did you have a specific format in mind or, or, or were there shows that were inspiring you in, in terms of deciding it, how, how, what do you want the duration to be, what you wanted to talk about? So, yes, I, I, my first thought was I wanted it to, it to feel like an NPR show. Um, and, you know, I don't think we've achieved that. <laughs> but, you know, look, we start off with an intro and a cold open and then we go into a, uh, you know, we, we do our stories and we, you know, it's much more of a conversation than a mm -hmm. newscast these days. So that was what I had in mind. And I told you I, I wanted to monetize using a particular, uh, you know, the continuing education model. And that didn't work yeah. out after a couple of years. I just realized I wasn't going to spend the money to renew the, the provider status. But, uh, but yeah, it, so that was the initial idea. And really my, my main goal has just been to be, to sound good, but to have really good content. And, um, and have fun, you know, we, we kid around on the show and we, at least we laugh at our own jokes. I don't know if anybody else laughs, uh, but you know, we've got a loyal listener base and, and, you know, it's fun to go to some kind of an event and someone will come up and say, I heard your voice and I knew who you were. <laughs> now, you know, I, yeah. I'm not a handsome man, so people <laughs> recognize me <laughs> for that too. But yeah, it's just, it's fun to be recognized in public and, and I'm, and so I get to be a little bit of a celebrity in my field. So. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, because it's such an intimate medium, and people are consuming it um, on their earbuds. And if you're using a good quality mic, and you've got a, a voice that's, you know, if you're consistently producing content, yeah. you know, I, I've had people say that they've recognized my voice, which is a little weird. But I mean, I'm, I'm approaching 200 episodes, so if, yeah. they've, if they've subscribed to the show, I would probably have that same effect, you know, on, on certain podcasts and. There's certain podcasts that I know, like I know their theme music now because <laughs> I listen to this, the shows. And right. so there's these little things as podcasters, um, but I never take it for granted. I mean, yeah. I, I like to wear the, the shirt as much as I can, the podcast junkie shirt. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was at PodFest uh, where we were chatting yeah. um, a couple of months, a month ago. The time flies already. It's it's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and someone walked by and was like, I listened to the show. And I was like, I was talking to someone else, but I almost was like, I wanted to turn around and like chase her down. I'm just like, <laughs> Where, where did you listen? Like, how did you find it? Like, what, what do you like about it? Like, because yeah. I always tell people like, you got to add listeners like one at a time something, mm -hmm. and just, cause then you know that you can get a face to face and, and you can put a face to a name story to a listener. And, and I think things are, things are, lot, are really helpful. You know, that's interesting because I, I think that, uh, for, you know, it is, it's, it's a relationship that you have with your listener. Unlike with a big, even with NPR or, or a, you know, broadcast radio where they're reaching 
millions of people, they can't have a one-on-one kind of a relationship mm-hmm. with their listeners. And, and it, you know, as a listener, you just don't feel like you're the one they're speaking to. But when you have a narrow audience and a narrow casting kind of thing like this, if you're doing it well, if you're doing it right, you're, you're, you have a picture of who that listener is in your mind and you're talking directly to them. And on the receiving end, you feel that, you know, Oh, he's talking to me. This is some, you know, especially when you've met the people like at, at, at conferences and things like that. And it's a wonderful community uh, of people when you go to these pod fests and pod uh, podcast movement and all the mm-hmm. meetups and things. It's great to meet the people that you listen to and, and you know, because then you do really have that relationship. I think the, the advertisers, the sponsors haven't quite caught on to the level of intimacy and, and how effective it can be when you or I recommend a product, even just yeah. by running a, a pre-recorded ad, it's different from the ad on, on broadcast radio where it's just, okay, that's how they pay the bills. Cause I think most of us have the integrity that we're not going to promote a product we don't believe in. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true because it's that real uh, intimate relationship you're building over time. And, and just think about for your show, like the people that have been listening from the beginning, I mean, they really have, they've built a, a, relationship, <laughs> <laughs> a relationship with you. Uh, so have you gotten a chance to interact and meet some of the listeners? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and we don't do it often, but we have meetups um, nice. whenever Whenever my, my co-host Tamara Bennett is in the Dallas, Texas area. So we're not in the same city very often, but when we are, we always try to have an event of some sort, you know, just meet up at a bar somewhere and, and have drinks. And it's great to meet those people who, who many of them have say, you know, I've listened to every episode of your show and thinking, wow, you got nothing to do with your time. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's nice to, you know, and, and I, I have a couple of friends who listen and reach out, I, I call them friends, but they're, you know, people who I first encountered because of listeners, they're listeners. And they would reach out and tell me what we got wrong or, or mm-hmm. come up with a new perspective on it. And then of course you give them a shout out on the next episode and they feel excited about that and it builds that relationship. So yeah, it's wonderful to, to connect with the audience in real life as well. Talk a little bit about how you reached out to Tamara to be the co-host. Uh, was she your first choice? and how that relationship has started and how it's grown it was 2009 maybe late 2008 when I, when i started thinking about doing this and uh, i knew that i wanted to have a co-host because it makes the, it's a conversation instead of a lecture you know and and on the subject of entertainment law in particular it really has the risk of me being you know in in lecturing teaching mode and i didn't want that to be the vibe so i knew i wanted to have a co-host i i concluded that i thought i wanted it to be a woman's voice partly just to attract a, a, a more diverse audience, mm-hmm. but also just to counteract the sound of my voice a bit. And I didn't want it to be somebody who was in LA competing for exactly the same clients as me. Cause I knew I wanted to promote my, my law practice with it. Um, which was not a very, I'll talk about the strategy failure there, but, um, uh, so I, I went on Twitter, which was a fairly new medium at that time too. And I am a tech geek and an early adopter. So, uh, and there was a, uh, I had a lot of lawyers that I was following and who were following me. And, um, I just put it out to my, my feed. I said, I'm looking for a co-host for a podcast about entertainment law. And I'd like it to be a woman outside Los Angeles. And I must've gotten 10 or 12 people who said, you got to talk to Tamara. So I reached out to her and I said, what do you say? We just get together and try recording a, uh, a, a, a episode zero, see how it goes. And I, I sent her an outline of here, are the 
stories I thought we might talk about. And we recorded it and it became episode one. It was good. It sounded good. We had fun. Yeah, we went from there. And so she was really the only person I talked to, but it just felt right from the beginning. And she's a smart lawyer and she focuses on the music industry. I focus on film, television, theater, and now digital technology and stuff. So it's a nice comp- uh, compliment of each other. And we've had a few guests come on as, uh, you know, talk about a particular topic that they're interested in or something. And that's fun. But it's mainly just the two of us most of the time. I'm assuming by now you've met in person, right? Several times, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she comes out to LA for the Grammy Awards every okay. year. So, oh, cool. Yeah, so we do get to see each other. And, and yeah, we've done we've taken the show on the road a few places and done it nice. as, at continuing education conferences and things like that. It's fun. It's interesting how many times in the world of podcasting, because it can be done remotely, you hear stories of like, shows starting and running for a couple of years i recently had on uh rich jones from paychecks and balances and yeah. he started his show and i think it was a couple of years in that he he didn't he had never met his his co-host in person and wow they, <laughs> and you know they i forgot how they actually met and started the show but it's mm. it's fascinating sometimes and you know you always wish you you want to like document those moments because especially when you start to tell the life and the story of your show and then when it's running so long i think you forget to um, capture those moments early on because you're just like, well, you know, we'll see how long this lasts. And then before you know it, you're like 10 years in like you are. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Uh, I think I had, well, I count my blessings that I met my wife through an online dating service. So <laughs> I use Twitter to meet my co-host. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. How has, how has your relationship with her changed? Has the dynamic changed in terms of like how you guys feed off each other or how you, you know, can you talk a little bit about about that, how that works and who handles what on the show? Well, okay, so uh, there's a little more background to it than that because um, you know both of us are busy lawyers and our time is what we sell. So spending a lot of time on on putting together podcasts, even though it is marketing for our firms uh, or for our businesses, you know we can only invest so much of our own time. So I determined very early on that if we were going to do this format of a show where we have you know ten or twelve cases to talk about each each month. Um, we were going to need some help. So I, I went out and got some interns and law students are very eager to get any kind of experience, especially in entertainment law. So right now I have a team of five, six, seven, maybe interns who I meet with on a zoom call one night a week on Sunday nights, usually. And, uh, they pitch me the stories. The idea behind that was, we you know, how TMZ, they would sit around and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and stand there while they all threw story ideas at them. Uh, that was kind of what I had in my mind, although not as sensational. They would, they'll pitch me the stories and we, we use a Slack channel to put links yeah. and stuff together. And we go over what, you know, okay, what's this about? Tell me a little more. Does that sound exciting? Is it, or is it too soon? Is it, you know, is it tapped out? Are we going to have enough to talk about? And we put together a, a, a rundown for the show. Yeah. And then the, the week that, they were, that we record, they go and write summaries for all the stories. And then Tamara and I have this usually 20-page document that is our for lack of a better term, our rundown or our outline for the show. And then we use that to extemporize, I guess you could say, uh, while we record. So she and I, well, I'm involved in those weekly meetings, so that's, what, an hour a week. Um, She and I review that the night before, and then we record the show. So it's actually a fairly streamlined process. And as I said, we don't do any post-production to speak of, unless there's been a glitch or something like that. So... uh, it's actually pretty easy to put out the show and, and neither of us has to break our mm. back to make it happen. Uh, she says I handle all the tech, but 
that even that isn't that hard. It's an interesting model because, you know, they're doing, not only are they doing a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the research, but they have an, a vested interest because, you know, it's the industry that they're in. And so I'm sure they want their stories picked or, you know, and so they're, they're making a, a punch right. for it. So they're, they're learning as well how to, how to research and how to find good stories as well. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting is they don't lobby really hard for some of the, for the things. It's usually I make a, a pretty snap decision about which story goes mm -hmm. in or out. And, and I'll say, am I wrong? And, you know, they're a little timid maybe about telling me I'm wrong, but I do have one guy who's been with me a long time. He's now my managing editor, John Janicek, and he will say, no, you really have to cover this one and then back it up with a Y. And yeah, but yeah, they're learning to sort of argue their case. In oh, a yeah. way. And, um, that's interesting. Not to mention learning how to follow the, uh, update. You know, what lawyers do is keep up on the law. I mean, we argue for our clients, of course, and, and we have to do the representation, but you can't do that effectively if you don't know what the courts have recently decided on this kind of mm. an issue. So staying up to date on what's going on is really important. And so I think it's fantastic training for these law students. And they seem to agree. How do you make a determination whether a story is in or out? So we, there is sort of a hierarchy in the law. You know, obviously a decision by the Supreme Court is going to take precedence over an appeals court decision. And if it's, uh, you know, a, a lower court decision uh, at the trial level, unless there's been a sort of momentous impact of that decision, it probably doesn't make its way into the show. You know, the ordinary day-to-day -day stuff isn't, isn't that interesting. It's rare that we talk about someone who has just filed a case against so-and-so or something like that because there just hasn't been anything determined yet. But every once in a while, the story gives us enough that we just know that we can bat the, the issues around and discuss it. I've actually had, uh, on a couple of occasions, we talked about a situation. Somebody filed a lawsuit against so-and-so, and we would kind of go over and, well, is that for real? How could they expect it? You know, and I've heard some of the things we talked about mentioned in, in the court briefing, <laughs> you know, a month later. So I know that the, mm. the, the guys handling cool. the case are listening to the show. So I have to be a little careful. I'm not, a, I'm not hired by either of the parties, right? So we've got ethical issues about, uh, we, you know, we're entitled to our opinions. Um, the other area that the ethics comes in is if it's a case that I have represented one of the parties or, have had, you know, either of us have had interactions with the parties there's a there's a case moving through the courts right now um on the east coast and it's big in the entertainment field that because i years ago represented the plaintiffs it's an estate mm -hmm. he died but uh, i represented him before he died i feel like i can't talk about that case at all until there's a final ruling yeah because <laughs> i don't want to influence the lawyers or the outcome. I don't want to say something that would maybe be used against his side. That's interesting. What's some of the uh, more recent um, cases that you've been covering that are that are interesting? Well, uh, um, yeah, some some interesting ones. We're waiting for a uh, for an answer. This probably by June we will get an answer on a case involving uh, a, a clothing line called uh, FUCT. Okay, <laughs> and uh, on T-shirts. Yeah. And it was really interesting to hear the the Supreme Court justices uh, asking lawyers questions about this brand with you know, trying to not say it out <laughs> loud, that kind of thing. Uh, but the trademark office has denied a registration on the grounds that this is a scandalous mark. Really? And there's a provision in the law that says that you can't do a scandalous mark. But there's also a free speech aspect of this. And should the government, a government agency, be telling companies, we're not going to give you this registration based on the content of what the registration mm. is talking about. And so, so there was a case a year or so ago 
uh, involving a band called the Slants, which is a bunch of Asian guys who were using, you know, they were they were essentially recapturing this slur for their own, and and the Supremes in that case the Supremes the Supreme Court ruled in their favor and said no the trademark office has to allow that registration uh, even though it could be construed as being not scandalous I forgot, I forgot the word that they used for that one but anyway so so that we're waiting on this one for FUCT and then there's another band situation that's being denied on the same grounds called Thunder Pussy uh, from Seattle and they're also waiting for this result to come out and we'll see what happens there so that's kind of a fun uh, interesting story to, to watch uh, what else is on our rundown for this next next one? A uh, story about some rappers that were uh, stopped and frisked and, and arrested by the cops, and then they put out a song uh, that named those police officers oh, wow. and called, basically said, "We're going to come and kill you and your families." And they were charged with making terrorist Whoa. threats. Again, a free speech question. Yeah. It was a song, <laughs> you know. Um, and the Supreme Court just recently refused to take that case up, so they're conviction is going to stand oh, wow. so that's you know one kind of thing a lot of cases involving video games these days with remember when when uh what was the what was the pokemon game pokemon the, go the augmented reality oh, yeah. one yeah where um people were going around yeah, yeah, playing yeah. this game and stepping into people's yards and and things like that and so the trespass cases and things like again that. and they found trespass finally, cases against pokemon go yeah well yeah oh, wow. because they were inciting people to go into places they shouldn't because they were the the characters, or what do they call them? Um, gyms. Yeah. You know, there were gyms on people's private property or, or places that were dangerous. And so a lot of lawsuits around that. And that, that's all just been settled in the last few weeks that we're going to be talking about. So Pokemon um, Go settled? Uh, yeah, they, they, you know, it was a class action wow. lawsuit against them. Actually. Yeah, that was always interesting to me. Like, I'm like, I, I never really got to play it, um, but I, that, I actually yeah. thought about that specific issue. I'm like, how did they determine where to place teams? <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there are cases involving the, well, not cases, but, but a lot of news around the merger between Fox and mm. Disney and stuff like that. Those are the kinds of things we talk about on the show. And of course, anytime there's a copyright case yeah. or something like that. It's, it's, so how has all of that come into play with you now, you know, all these world, all these different worlds, right? Merging for you. Yeah. So like the entertainment and law and the theater and now podcasting. So you must get a, ton of questions from podcasters <laughs> about podcasts related stuff yeah so one of the sort of segments or, or areas that i've carved out for myself as a niche in in practice is representing and working with podcasters and um as you may know i wrote an ebook um now six or mm -hmm. seven years ago uh called the podcasters a uh, podcast blog and new media producers legal survival guide and that was basically me scratching my own itch and wanting to make sure i understood all the legal ramifications of podcasting so as long as I'm doing the research, I'll write this book and put it out there. Nobody else had put anything out uh, like that. And I realized that there's a lot of stuff that, you know, folks who make films and, and television shows kind of already mm -hmm. know about, you know, getting releases from the people who show up on their shows, uh, where the lines are for libel and slander and privacy and those kinds of things. So that's the stuff. Yeah, I get a lot of questions about those and copyright. Uh, copyright's a big one. Everybody misunderstands copyright or wants to wants copyright to work differently than it does. Let's put it that way. So uh, I get a lot of questions from podcasters about, can I use this piece of music? Or what if I'm talking about this TV yeah. show on my program? Can I, you know, so I, I represent podcasters and, and help them with those. And, and that's how we've met actually is at, at uh, conferences where I've been giving a talk about the legal aspects. It's interesting because uh, there's so many things that I think people take for granted. And 
and I, I, I sent, I, there was a lot of overlap for me because growing up DJing, you know, naturally it's the yeah. issues of like, you know, early rap songs would sample a lot, right? And then people yeah. were like mistaken and like, oh, if you use a, a certain number of seconds in the show and then there's right. some, you know, misconceptions about that. So what are mm-hmm. maybe top three misconceptions that podcasters have when it comes to copyright related stuff? Well, I'll say the big one, and this is sort of an umbrella that leads to a bunch of others is it's just like radio. Oh. I can do things the same way radio does and I'll get, I'll yeah. be fine. The problem is it isn't just like radio. Uh, podcasting is downloading and streaming and radio is broadcast mm-hmm. and there are different rules for how those media are handled. Um, it comes up in the sense of music. You know, radio stations pay for music licenses through uh, organizations, ASCAP, BMI, uh, CSAC, and, and GMR here in the U.S. And, and so, by the way, do venues where DJs perform. Yep. So the DJ doesn't have to think about, can I play this piece of music? It's just included. It's in the blanket license. Doesn't do that. They don't do that in, in, uh, in podcast. ASCAP and BMI have started to license podcasts, but it only covers the stream, not the download. And so yeah, music licensing from podcasting is much very different. I'll be, I'll be giving a talk on the subject at um, podcast movement in August, uh, specific to the music questions. But what about, you know, when I have a guest on, do I need a release to mm-hmm. be signed? I'm, I'm on a crusade about this one. I think, yeah, you need to have your people sign permission so that you can use the podcast episode and use it forever in any medium without having to pay them and without having to give them anything else. And, and certainly without them having a right of approval over your episode. Uh, there's been a number recently a handful of cases involving uh guests who wanted to have an episode taken down or, or edited a certain way and uh you know i think of podcasting as a form of journalism yeah. and there's an integrity to that the journalist gets to decide what goes in not the not the voice on the other end of things uh libel and slander mm. uh there's well and, and rights of privacy and publicity which is the right to use a person's name in a commercial way uh the case involving um Oh, I forgot. S Town is the name of the show, and John McLemore was the was the subject of this show. It was a sort of documentary style travelogue of of this guy's life and and this town in in Alabama, I think it is. And he killed himself during the course of uh, of when the thing was being produced. And after the episodes came out, the the estate of this guy um, is suing to claiming that they're using his name and likeness, and he didn't have a release signed. And you know, it's a it's a problem, wow. and it's. It's been going on for over a year now, and this lawsuit is not looking like it's ending anytime wow, soon. That's interesting. Yeah, I recently went through something similar um, of a podcast production company, and one of my mm-hmm. clients was re- really fascinated with this like song. It's like an uplifting mm-hmm. song, um, but he was smart enough. He's uh, a shout out to Sound Financial Bites, um, and I've been working mm-hmm. with him for a couple of years. And so he 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 knew enough when he first asked me. He's like, "How do you know? Can we get the song?" I'm like, "If you want, I mean, you got to do it the right way, and you got to go after you know the the management company." So finally, we were. He was able. I think he finally sent the a Facebook message to the artist, and and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just to go to my my um my agent." And then there was a back and forth. Obviously, the dance of like how much, and obviously the first number you get back is just like, "You want how much for <laughs> right exactly. for how many and, and yeah, for how many episodes?" That's crazy. And a lot of people don't really understand, a lot of people in the music industry don't really understand that po- what podcasting is mm-hmm. and how it works and how, yeah. how relatively small the audience is. And so they'll, they'll throw a big number at you and, and you know, and you, you end up having to either explain it or just, you know, give up on it. But yeah, that was really smart. I'll tell you one thing to be really aware of is if you reach out to the band and they just say, yeah, go ahead, use it. 
that can be a problem because they may not even actually own what they think yeah. they own. The record company owns the recording and the music publishing company, uh, if they've signed with a publisher, owns the copyright and the composition. So that's who you really need the permission from. It's nice that the band wants you to use the song, but they don't own it. The agreement was for a certain number of episodes as well. So they'll have yeah, to renew yeah. that if they want to. And what's really fascinating yeah. is when you start getting into the the actual copyright and what the words need to say, you know, in, in yeah. every episode. And so there was a couple of back and forths so like, no, it, oh, the yeah, credits, the credits like literally like, like this is the writer, this is the co-writer, this is his production company, their production company, copyright. And so, yeah. you know, I made, yeah. I, I typed it out. I'm like, so this is exactly what you want me to say. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you do the voice. No, no, no. I, I, um, oh. uh, so I'm, we're, we're going to include it in the show notes in the, oh, like in the oh. ID3 tags, oh, right? So the, we got to make sure right, that right. every episode when it's this episode, you know, the music was by this artist. So. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that's peculiar to the entertainment industry is credits. Yeah. And I'll tell you in the, in the film industry, we end up, sometimes end up having the biggest or hardest part of the negotiation is the dressing room mm. for the actor or, you know, what kind of a trailer or how big. <laughs> the trailer has to be and what it doesn't need a DVD That's player. Funny. I mean, it seems silly and a lot of it has to do with ego. Yeah, of course. But also a lot of it is about setting precedent for the next time and the next time. Yeah, so that that's true. As people become big stars. They're not uh, camping out in some tiny little trailer. <laughs> so have you thought about doing a, a spinoff podcast specifically for podcasts, copy a podcast lawyer or podcast legal issues or something like that? Uh, I have actually, it's not a bad idea. Um, if I find the bandwidth, maybe that'll, maybe yeah. that'll happen. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I wrote this ebook and I do a, a lot of Q and a on, on my YouTube channel, firemark.tv. If you have questions, I, I'll, I'll try to answer them as long as it's not too specific and narrow because mm-hmm. I don't want to be giving legal advice uh, in that forum, but uh, I, I can generally answer those kinds. So I get a lot of questions on there about uh, copyright and fair use. Everybody thinks it's fair use because they're only using four bars or something like that. And it's not always the case. So, um, I really enjoy that aspect of things and, and uh, yeah, speaking at conferences, yeah, maybe a podcast, who knows? Well, that's what happens. when once you have your first, you get the, you get the bug right. and then you're like, Hmm, I could do a podcast. I've had so many ideas for podcasts yeah. in all the, like the five years I've been doing this. It's some crazy. And then I realized, yeah, I mean, to be really honest, I, I like, I sort of prefer to piggyback on other people's platforms. You know, the, the podcasters who talk about podcasting, uh, I can go on as mm-hmm. a guest and in an hour I can cover a lot of it and then come back again if there's more questions. You know, so. this, um, yeah, this is fascinating stuff because it's, and it's getting really relevant specifically for this show and the listeners because, uh, you know, I'm talking to the podcast, a lot of my audience are, are podcasters. So we'll put a link to the ebook in the show notes as well. So make sure you get that to me. And, and so, cause I think it's going to be valuable for the listeners. So a couple of questions as we wrap up, um, cause this is the type of conversation that could go on forever. Cause it's two, just two podcasters talking about podcasting right. <laughs> and tend to geek out on all things, uh, podcast related. So it's fun. But, uh, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Something I've changed my mind about recently. Uh, actually just yesterday I made a decision to, um, uh, I have some online education products that I that I have been working on, and I've made a decision to leave one of those behind. It's just not feeling like it's in alignment with where I want to take things for me. Okay, and I'm going to go back to uh, helping artists with a particular uh, aspect of being an artist and having a career in entertainment. Uh, that that just you know feels right to me. So I've I've made a big decision and changed my mind about what my lead product is going to be for the next year or so. That's interesting. It's and I've heard people say that it's either a hell yes or a no when you 
when it's time to, when you have to make big, big decisions about like yeah. things you know things you want to work on or projects you want to work on and i think too many people it's like a maybe or a, a, a kind of <laughs> yeah well this and this is exactly right yeah. I mean, it's something that i i do well and i i like it enough yeah. but it just doesn't inspire passion and mm. this other thing you know i've been spinning my wheels with this one thing and so i'm i'm gonna push it off to the side and I'm not going to give up on it completely, but I'm going to, you know, it's a, it's an online product. So I'm going to just set it on some automation and uh, you know, it can help people. So I hope they'll, they'll want it. But um, I, if I'm going to really push to promote something, it's going to be something I really care about. Yeah. I'm sure that's a good call. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? The most misunderstood thing about me is while I seem pretty extroverted, I'm actually an introvert. I just hide it well. <laughs> I put on a good mask. We, I joke a lot that uh, podcast movement or um, pod, podcast noise podcasting conferences is, is actually like a, a conference for introverts. <laughs> it really is. It's it's kind of funny to watch the dynamic the first day of a conference. Yeah, and then and then the the third day or or even the the parties at the at the night and it's it's nice to see people come out of their shell too because a, a lot of yeah. these folks, um, you know, when you're just getting started your family and your friends and your immediate circle are, are not into it as, as much as you are. So you're just like, man, who do I talk to about the show? And then mm-hmm. my, my previous guest I was talking to today, uh, Kyla, she said uh, when she went, she realized she had found like her tribe and that's the feeling a lot of folks get. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is interesting. Uh, yeah, these people get me is the sense. Yeah. You have. And, yeah. You know. Well, thanks so much, Gordon. This is a, I knew it was going to be, I, I mean, I, we, we just kept bumping it into each other at the conferences yeah. and I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta have Gordon on Gordon on. I kept, we kept, you know, we see each other in the, in the Facebook yeah. groups. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad we were finally able to make it work. And sometimes it, it takes being in person, you know, sitting next to each other <laughs> at the cafe <laughs> right. to say, Hey, you know, this is overdue. Let's get you on the show. Right. Well, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad we did this finally. And, uh, I guess I'll be seeing you in August at Podcast Movement. Yeah, I'll be there. So uh, where's the best place for folks to track you down online? My law practice website is firemark.com, F-I-R-E-M-A-R-K.com. Great domain. Thanks, yeah. That's one of those things, actually. It's funny. Um, In 1993, when I started my practice, one of my first clients was creating a video education series called The Internet Video. And just to teach people about this new thing, the internet. Yeah. I remember this was back when Mosaic was the browser. Oh, yeah. And I, I watched what he was doing and I was paying attention. I had done some email newsletters and things and I realized I better get a domain. And so 1993, 92, 93 was, I was still able to get my name as a domain. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's an unusual name, but there are some it, it's, it's interesting because it, it sort of sounds a little bit like trademark which is yeah. perfect, perfect for your industry. So uh, when I s- saw that that was a domain, and even, even that that's your name and you're yeah. in the legal profession, is just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's yeah. um, and I haven't maximized that at all, but yeah. uh, I also have, you know, gordonfiremark.com is sort of all my other products and services. Okay. And, uh, and then, of course, yeah, grabbing the right domain name is so important branding-wise. And it's so hard to do back. I mean, everyone wishes they had the time machine to grab some of those more popular ones in the past. So back to answering your question, firemark.com is the domain for the law firm, entertainmentlawupdate.com. If you want to hear my podcast, that's the place to go. And podcast law book gets you right to that ebook. Okay, perfect. Well, thank, <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate uh, this time I get to connect with my fellow podcasters and I hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks. Feelings mutual. 
So thanks again to Gordon for coming on the show. Always appreciated. And this one was great because I know it's a topic that a lot of podcasters don't have enough information about this idea of what's kosher and what is able to be done with a podcast with regards to trademarks and copyrights and all that sort of good stuff. And Gordon was more than generous to share his knowledge with us. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 195. We put a lot of work, as always, into these summaries, timestamps, tweetables, and links mentioned in the show, so make sure you check those out at the site. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, especially the Scarlet 2i2. Tune in next week for our conversation with Jim Beach, host of School for Startups. Thanks to all you do for supporting the show. And if you thought I was going to leave you without the retention hashtag this week, it's going to be hashtag Firemark Gordon. And you can tag Gordon at G Firemark. That's G F I R E M A R K. And us at podcast underscore junkies. Love you guys. Talk to you next episode. <laughs>